0: Welcome to the Days for Girls podcast, a show about breaking barriers for women and girls around the world. I'm your host, Jessica Williams, Chief Communications Officer at Days for Girls International. At Days for Girls, we believe in a world where periods are never a problem. We are on a mission to shatter the stigma and limitations associated with menstruation by increasing access to sustainable period products and menstrual health education for all people with periods. Today's episode is with Jess Strait and Emma Sahanowitz. Jess is the president and founding member of the Days for Girls Club at Penn State University. Emma is the first vice president of advocacy for Days for Girls at Penn State and has been a part of the organization for two years, serving on both the operations team and as the administrator. Jess and Emma have done some pretty incredible things at Penn State, and I think you'll be surprised by my conversation with them. During university remote learning, Days for Girls Penn State pivoted from sewing kits to socially distanced activities like collecting period products in competition with a rival university and including community experts in the conversation around period poverty. By surveying hundreds of students on their menstrual health needs, the club is now advocating with student government to make free menstrual products accessible on campus. During the fall of 2020, Jess led a project to provide almost 1,000 menstrual cups to Penn State students through the Campus Cup program. She is now preparing to write her thesis on how programs like Campus Cup help fight period stigma on college campuses. Emma is in the honor school, studying international politics, Spanish, and French with a women and gender studies minor. Her plans after graduating are to pursue a career in law. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Now let's go on to the show. Jess, Emma, welcome to the Days for Girls podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So you both have done work with Days for Girls for a while, but you've been doing some interesting work on your campus at Penn State. And so we're going to dive into that a little bit. But before we do, I want to ask you what inspired you to get involved with Days for Girls. So Jess, why don't you go first? Sure. So I'm going into my senior year
1: um, and I first became involved with Days for Girls at Penn State my freshman year, which was actually when we started. Um, And the thing that I really like about Days for Girls is I think it's such a specific topic because especially at Penn State, there's so many different service orgs, there's so many causes that are worthy with sustainability and education and gender equity and all those different things. And I like that Days for Girls kind of touches on all of those in a very actionable way. Um, I think it's it's a nice way to kind of work really, really hard at one thing where you know you're making an impact and not spread yourself too thin. Um, I just I like that
0: it's a very niche issue. Yeah, that's great. Emma, how about you?
2: So this is my second year in days for Girls. I started my freshman year. Days for Girls at Penn State was originally burning out of another organization that I was a part of. It was like a women's organization within the Shryers Honors College. And that's where Jess got her start in that too. But um, I rolled up to one of the meetings and they were advertising Days for Girls. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a cool way um, to support women and menstruators all across the world. And I really kind of fell in love with the cause and fell in love with the mission. And I applied to be on the operations team. Um, So I worked under Jess for a while on the operations team, working on sewing the kits. But then I joined leadership um, as the administrator at the end of my freshman year, because I wanted to get more involved, I had such a passion for it. And then in this year, since we couldn't do any sewing with COVID, we really shifted more towards an advocacy lens and what we could do without being physical in person. And so I really found my love for advocacy there. Um, and now I'm serving as vice president of advocacy.
0: Very cool. And and Emma, when did you first learn about menstrual inequity? When did that hit your radar?
2: I I, rem- I just always remember being so passionate about it. I don't remember the exact like eye-opening euphoric moment of being like, oh my gosh, this is a cause I want to dedicate so much of my time to. But it was kind of a topic I found in looking at uh, women's issues for courses I was in. I took a couple women's studies classes and in a couple courses um, for English, I was able to pick topics of what I wanted to research and what I wanted to do my projects on. And I found menstrual equity um, as the most interesting to me. And I kind of deep dived in there and then it coupled with seeing this organization pop up called Days for Girls um, at Penn State. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. I want to join it. So yeah, just a lot of freshman year initial research where I was able to kind of explore things and having a passion for working on women's issues. I really stumbled upon menstrual equity.
0: Jess, was this something that you were aware of before you came to Days for Girls? Not at all. Actually, maybe opposite situation to Emma.
1: Um, I kind of came across Days for Girls because I like sewing. Um, And so when Emma mentioned that Days for Girls at Penn State grew out of a a different organization, um, that organization just went on one service trip to the chapter in Philadelphia to sew for a day. Um, And and that day was just so much fun. It was so inspiring. Um, And some of the leadership of that team suggested we try to get a Penn State club off the ground. Um, So I kind of came at it as I like to sew and this seems like fun. Um, And I think for me, it's really been um, like Emma mentioned this year when we haven't been able to sew. um, I think I've learned a lot about the advocacy space. I know that definitely was not my expertise. So it's great that we have people like Emma um, that know so much about it and are willing to kind of lead those conversations but that aspect of it has definitely been new for me. And I, I really like that Day Circles International is also kind of moving that way. Um, because I think when we started, we were definitely a sewing club. And now we like to say we've rebranded as the Period
0: Club. So you decided to conduct a survey. Can you just start by telling me why you decided to do the survey and how you went about getting people to fill that out, participants in the survey? Tell us a little bit about kind of how that came about.
1: Sure. So I can say we were actually inspired by another organization working against period poverty, which is called No More Secrets. Um, They're Pennsylvania-based, just like us, so out of Philadelphia. Um, And at the end of last semester, we had a little Q&A Zoom call with them um, just to kind of talk about their work and what they were doing. And they suggested um, that one of the best things we can do as a student organization is to find out what people in our community actually need. Um, and I, I know for myself, I'm a, a data science person, so I really like numbers. So for me, this was definitely like, OK, everything we're going to do from now on, I can back up with information saying this many students said they needed this. Um, this is kind of what we can take to the administration saying we know this is a problem and here's the numbers to prove it. Um, so for me, in the way that I look at problems, I was really, really into it. Um, but I think when we started it, it was kind of we were looking at the semester as we didn't really know what to do yet. We were still mostly remote um, and we kind of wanted to see what the situation was on campus and maybe where we could make the most impact. Um, the survey was very short. I think um, it's it's like 10-ish questions, so it's not super long. Um, and we kind of sent it out almost informally. I know we have, of course, like some offices on campus that support us that shared it in their newsletters. Um, we have a great network of student organizations that we work with that shared it around. Um, and within the first like month or so, we had about 300 responses, which was a really good starting point. For us, I think we we almost stopped promoting it. We were kind of like, okay, we have our information. We know what these problems are. And I guess I'll let Maybe Emma, share a little bit about kind of when the focus changed towards the policy brief.
2: So we found this information through our needs analysis. We called it our menstrual health needs analysis um, with about 300 menstruators on campus. And we specifically centered it on University Park. Penn State has a multitude of Commonwealth campuses all across Pennsylvania, but we just focused on University Park. We didn't know, we don't really even know people at the other Commonwealth campuses. So we focused it just on our community, but in bringing our survey results to our student government, they were saying, we need the scope to be bigger. Um, we want to bring this to the board of trustees and say how much of a problem this is on campus. Um, I'll have Jess go through the numbers a little bit because I think the numbers are really interesting. I um, and also the comments from people on the survey. But so we wanted to expand the scope to the Commonwealth campuses because Penn State really doesn't like to do things just for their one um, university park campus. It's really like the whole Commonwealth approach. So we started expanding the survey, reaching out to people across all the Commonwealth campuses, getting new information, And we expanded our results as of last night to about 500 respondees, which is really cool for us. We wanted, that was our goal number to get. So it's a really good sample of kind of the Penn State student population and their menstrual health needs. Jess, do you want to go over some of those numbers? Probably one of the most interesting numbers that we've been sharing a lot with administration,
1: especially that out of these, you know, 503 respondents that we have, um, 13% of them have skipped class or work due to lack of access to period products. Um, And we did specify products. So not necessarily cramps, not necessarily anything else, just straight up not having period products. Um, We see 13% of our students are skipping class or work. And I think that percentage is so staggering because just at University Park alone, um, we know that's at least 2,500 students that are not receiving the full Penn State experience, that are not getting the most out of their education because they don't have access to period products. Um, So that I think is a really big number right there. Another issue we kind of almost discovered from the needs analysis that I don't think was really on our radar before was period product disposal. So we had 34% of our respondents say that they had been unable to properly dispose of period products in an on-campus bathroom. And in the free response questions, we had a lot of students mentioning that bathrooms often didn't have trash cans, especially for maybe gender neutral or men's restrooms. If they only have hand dryers, they might not have a bathroom um, because there's no. Pa- they might not have a trash can for paper towels. So that was definitely a complaint. We saw students saying their dorms had taken away the trash cans. So there was only one trash can for every other stall. Um, that was something that We had not really realized it was such an issue, and we definitely um, had quite the campaign to get in touch with housing to talk about that, since I don't think it's something we really realized was such a problem. And then kind of, I guess, our our biggest number is 66% of respondents didn't know of any options to access free menstrual products on campus. At Penn State University Park, there are a few small, not very publicized options. I know our student union building offers some in the bathrooms, um, which was like the one that most people knew about if they knew about any at all. But a lot of people were guessing like, oh, I bet, you know, the campus nurse offers free period products. They actually don't. So it's kind of interesting to see these free responses of people saying, okay, what options do you know of? Some of those things weren't even options. And the vast majority of people didn't know of any place they could go if they didn't have the financial means to access period products.
0: You know, I hear from people all of the time. You know, this isn't an issue in the United States, you know, except for maybe people who are struggling with homelessness or, or people who are in prisons. But you're telling me on a, a campus, a college campus, that there are literally women who are not going to school because they don't have period products. It's just, what, did you find that shocking? Because I do.
2: Yeah, I, when we saw that number, we were like, okay, this is going to be our target. Like, This is going to be what we're going to use and to take the board of trustees, take it to
0: university administrators and
2: saying, this is a problem. You can't look at that number and tell me it's not a problem. And it's affecting so many people across campus, not just women even. Um, we had a lot of non-binary and trans folk answer our survey too and saying how much of a problem it was for them. And even like Jess said, in the men and gender neutral bathrooms, sometimes there's no form of trash can at all. So they couldn't dispose of any period products. So it's clearly not on the university's radar as much as we would like it to be. And so we're trying to push it and make it really at the forefront of an issue that needs to be addressed in this coming year.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that, that they're reacting, you know, and they're, they're willing to activate on the issue. Did you find them to be receptive and, and the student government to be quick to partner with you and want to problem solve?
2: Yeah, the student government has a history of actually working on this issue. Um, the reason why the free products are in the student union building is because it was originally Our student government's project, and they initially funded it. It was taken over by the student union, building facilities in general. um, Now, so it's kind of separated from the original student government plan. But the current president of our student government is very receptive to this problem, and it's on one of her top priorities going into the year. Partnering with us to be able to bring it to the board of trustees, to bring it to the right officials. We kind of explained that she has the connections, and we have the information. (laughs) So. As you can probably think, a university has a big web of administrators, and it's very hard to crack open and talk to the right people. And if you start emailing one, you're getting in an email chain with a bunch of others, just because a university this big has so many interconnected pieces and administrators at play. So the student government has been very helpful and very receptive to working with us and helping us get connected with the right people to address this problem.
0: That's amazing. I'm excited to hear that for you. So let's pivot and talk about uh, your distribution of menstrual cups to students on campus. Did that start before you, you did this survey or after?
1: Yes. So that was before the needs analysis. Um, Campus Cup was really our big fall semester project. And then once that had kind of wrapped up is, is sort of when we saw the, the reason that we needed to do the needs analysis because we didn't really know what to do from there. Um, our fall semester was really all about product access through Campus Cup. And so then in the spring, we really moved more towards advocacy on a larger long-term scale. I guess Emma always likes to say we want to do sustainable solutions um, and so giving a menstrual cup for that one semester was great, but then any student that comes next year might not have access to that same kind of program.
0: That makes sense. So um, tell us about Campus Cup. What, what is that? Where did it start? And how did you get involved with it?
1: So we came across it completely by accident. Um, one of our our operations chair actually had developed a program for a median called Sustainably. Um, really, we wanted to talk about um, reusable options for period care. So things like um, the pads and the Days for Girls kit and also menstrual cups and, and some other options like that. Um, And so I was actually emailing menstrual cup companies asking for a sample cup um, that we could do uh, with our meeting. Maybe we could do like a giveaway, you know, something like that. I was asking for literally one menstrual cup. Um, And one of the companies that I came in touch with was Organic Cup. And they let me know about this really cool program they were piloting called Campus Cup. And basically the way that it worked was we had a two week window to sign up as many students as possible. They would send us that number of menstrual cups and we would distribute them on campus. I remember texting our our executive board and I was like, Hey, like, I'm not sure if this is legit. Like this seems a little too good to be true. You know, it was kind of that situation, Um, but they were incredibly easy to work with. I know when we signed up, my estimate was we could probably give out about 250, just kind of knowing what our Instagram following was, like what our network was at that point, we were still a pretty new club, Um, but it really took off. We ended up where I ended up, I guess having 960 menstrual cups at my studio apartment, um, which was kind of crazy. And distribution was a whole a whole project that we never thought we'd have to kind of scale up to the point that we did. But it was really fun. I think, especially with the remote situation, that gave us an opportunity to do something safely in person. It was a really good way to engage new people. Um, I just campus cup for me was probably my favorite thing I've done with Days for Girls at Penn State.
0: So tell us about. Like, did you just walk up and offer free cups? How did you find the people who needed them or wanted them? Like, tell me about the distribution of that.
1: So they did have to sign up in advance, um, which was how Organic Cup knew how many cups to send to us. So they put together essentially a Google form um, and we shared the link around. Um, But Emma is our kind of our social media person um, at the time as administrator. Um, And so she made a bunch of graphics. Of course, we leveraged um, our networks with student orgs. I mean, we probably Instagram direct messaged maybe 100 other student orgs. Um, you know, we were letting offices know. I know our our gender equity center has been really receptive of, of the work that we're doing. So, like, they shared it around. Um, it was almost like a word of mouth kind of thing because within the first like two days, I think we already had three hundred signups. Um, so it was just it was one of those things. I think as soon as people found out about it, they were telling their roommates and their friends and and that kind of thing. But I mean, it was really the most like no strings attached program you could think of, especially since menstrual cups are kind of a relatively expensive upfront investment. Um, I think getting one for free was something people were very, very interested in. Um, and it was kind of, you know, you just put your name on the form and we'll take care of the rest was really all we were asking for.
0: So you, you, you know, you ordered where or you told them we need like 200 cups. And then didn't you wake up one day and you were like, we have a thousand minstrel cups on our doorstep. <laughs> Tell us about that.
1: <laughs> yeah. When Well, when we applied to do the program at Penn state, we had to give an estimate as to how many signups we thought we could get. And that's where I said 250. Um, but our reach was just much more than I expected, which was such a good problem to have. I mean, just um, e- even kind of just sharing our mission, people who were not aware of us before became very aware of us from this program. Um, but we ended with 960 signups. And so that was the number of menstrual cups that Organic Cups sent. Um, I was actually concerned they might be um, a little upset that we'd scaled so much more than we expected to, but they weren't at all. Um, they were very excited. Um, I'm actually doing my undergraduate thesis on the Campus Cup program and kind of the social implications it had. Um, so I'm still communicating with the folks that we worked with there. They have worked with several other universities since us. And I think they're going to have a few more um, coming up in the fall. So it's not something that they're stopping anytime soon. I think they're seeing um, that menstrual cups are really such a good word of mouth kind of product, because if you've never heard of it, I think it's hard to want to put that much money up for it. Um, but it, I don't know. It, I thought it was an awesome program. I think it got people talking about periods on campus very, very openly, which is I was something I was so excited about that um, just to see our new members so comfortable going up to people and saying, "Hey, like, do you want a free menstrual cup?" And I, I thought that was just the coolest thing.
2: <laughs> and I enjoyed watching like the distribution of it and people having to come up to us asking for a menstrual cup. And I loved like I could see people walking around being slightly nervous, like looking like, "Is that them?" And I was like, "Yeah, you want a free menstrual cup?" Yeah, like, the rest <laughs> of way, like this is what you're here for. Like, we know it's okay. Like, come on. Um, and it was a really good way to break stigma. And we've gotten really good, I think, about reading people and having those conversations and breaking the stigma through those projects. Same thing with when we do product drives. Um, you can see people like wandering around with a bag of period products, like kind of scared, not knowing where to go. And we're like, yeah, like take it right here. You can bring your period products right to me. Like being so open about it and being an example, I think was really cool. And being able to, we had a transport, Um, like Jess said, there was like a thousand menstrual cups um, in her little apartment. And I was walking down the street at one point with like a box of 200 menstrual cups. And you're just saying, like, I hope I don't trip and fall and spill menstrual cups everywhere. It was um, it was just a fun, funny time with a lot of menstrual cups. And um, it was a hard project. We spent a lot of time on it, just did amazing with it, but I think the results were so worth it.
0: Oh, that's incredible. I love it. Uh you're I think a lot of women would would say that was very brave of you to be walking around campus openly carrying menstrual products. What do you think?
2: I think I'm so numb to it at this point. Um, I think in the beginning, I thought it was like, ah, oh, like I am carrying a bunch of menstrual products, but we've done product drives. I've walked down the street with bags full of menstrual products too many times now, um, transferring them back and forth. We recently did an event like in the middle of campus where we were packing period kits for um, a local organization who was in need of period products. Um, and I'm so numb to it. I could see where some other people who are new in the org um, But I think it's so easy to just break that stigma and once you break it, it's broken and you don't have to really think about it anymore, which is a privilege for us um, and something we're trying to help spread the word about that it's okay to talk about periods like this is an issue um, for all menstruators on our campus and we shouldn't be afraid to talk about it.
0: Can we talk about menstrual cups? Because I am 40 years old and I never used a menstrual cup. And when I was growing up, I don't remember them being a thing. If they were, they weren't in my orbit. And I always think, God, you know, it's going to be like really messy. And does it really work? And so I'm curious what what you both think about menstrual cups and and the women that you've been distributing them to. What's their opinion about them? So
1: I love my menstrual cup. I'll say that first. I think it's one of the best innovations in period care, and there haven't been nearly enough. Um, but I just I had not heard of it until I came to college. It definitely was not covered um, in high school sex ed. It was not something. I knew anything about until a friend actually mentioned it to me. Um, and then, of course, within the Days for Girls group, I can say, oh, Emma, you know, have you heard of this? Like, what kind do you use? Do you have a recommendation? Um, which is sort of the great thing that we have a, a club that's that's close like that, that's comfortable with doing that. Um, I understand the fear of it being messy. I haven't had that experience at all. Um, I like to change it in the shower just in case there's any kind of fear in that space. Um, but for the people that we were able to distribute the cups to, the feedback was just fantastic. I mean, even in our needs analysis, we had. Um, like a free response question at the end, just asking if there was anything else they wanted to share about the experience of menstruating on campus. I and mean, we had so many people saying, you know, thank you for the cup. Like, it's great to just, I mean, at this point, you they have it, right? They get the, the free menstrual cup and they don't have to pay for period care for up to 10 years if they take care of it. They have the menstrual cup and that's it um, because it is reusable. And if you take care of it properly, it can last um, for up to 10 years. And it's such a great sustainable option, I think. And that's not something that people really think about a lot. Um, But we were very fortunate to have been awarded outstanding sustainability efforts um, as a student organization on campus. Um, And I think a big part of that was for kind of talking about the environmental impact of menstruation as a space where we were offering a sustainable swap that maybe people don't always think about. Um, But I love menstrual cups.
2: I think it's kind of a learning curve. But once you get used to it,
1: you don't really go back.
2: I would say the same. I love the menstrual cup, probably with all my heart. It's my favorite period product ever. I my period has been forever changed because of it. You, I will forget I'm on my period, which like before was never a thing. I can never just like uh I like I generally feel like I don't have my period when I'm wearing it because it's so it's in me. It's out of like there's nothing out. It's just in like it's chilling. Um, and it's so good, and I have to wait 12 hours at a time. Like it's not like four to six hours if you're changing a tampon. Um, it can be up to 12. Um, so I will genuinely forget I'm even on my period. Um, which I think is kind of the craziest thing about them. Um, there is a learning curve, but once you're past that learning curve um and you figure out how your body works with it and you're finding a cup that's right for you, there's so many cup options out there now, which is amazing. Um, and I think there might be I stumbled upon my cup in the first try. I, I currently use the salt cup. Um, but if you try them out, find one that works for you. Um, there's so many positions to get it in that can work for you, like just using the shower. I just use it on the toilet. Um, But you really just have to learn and work with your body, work with the cup, figure out what works. But once you figure out what works, it's your best friend. Um, All my roommates use them. All my friends use them. And it's pretty much life-changing for everyone.
0: Wow. I'm going to have to try one now. It's great testimonials. I love it. Um, I used to work in an OBGYN clinic many years ago, and um, our lunchroom was a lot like this. Like everyone was so open about menstrual health and period products and sexual things, like it was just a free-for-all in the lunchroom, and it was hysterical because we used to joke like you know, most lunchrooms do not have this topic of conversation. And I love how open you both are about this. And And thank you for sharing your experience. Um, do you find that in a lot of situations, you're modeling the way for other women to be open about their periods and menstruation?
2: Yeah, I would say I think so. I think once you get the conversation ball rolling, um, I think it's much easier to talk about. And it's sometimes you just need that one person to start talking about their period and then everyone's going to share their stories and share their horror stories. Um, and we do some things like as an org to break that stigma. Like I think in our first meeting um, we just said, okay, like, does anyone, um, we had like an icebreaker and we said, does anyone have any period horror stories they want to share? Um, and it was quiet at first, but then when that one person um, shared their period horror story of um, had their sister wearing white shorts at a basketball game and running off the court at halftime because they got their period, Having to scrub it in the bathroom, and then everyone kind of delved in with their own period horror stories, um, and it was funny, and we all joked about it and laughed about some of the most embarrassing moments, <laughs> possibly of their lives. Um, but once one person started talking about it, everyone else wanted to share their stories, and um, it was just fun to be in a group of menstruators talking about um, their experience with menstruation and funny things that we could all relate to and laugh together about.
0: If People want to connect with both of you. What is the best way for them to do that? Because I I am so impressed with the two of you. You are such rock stars and such an inspiration. And I definitely look forward to seeing where you go in your professional lives um, and the impact that you're going to make in the world, because I can tell you're already already making such a difference. So I want to follow you. So how do we do that? If you want to
2: follow Days for Girls at Penn State, our Instagram handle is at Days for Girls PSU. If you want to follow our collective organization, um, Jess and I are both on the exec board. She serves as president, and I serve as VP of Administrator. Um, and we're very active on our social media um, with campaigns, sharing what we're doing, fundraisers. So if you want to follow our organization, that's the spot to do so. If you want to follow me personally, my Instagram handle is at Emma. C i h a n o w y z. My last name is Wiz. It's pretty tricky. Um, And you can Google the same thing on LinkedIn, um, Emma, Sahana Liz. Awesome. How about you, Jess? Almost exactly the same. Definitely at Days
1: for Girls PSU on Instagram. Um, That's where you can see just about anything that our club is doing. Um, My Instagram handle is at Jess.Straight, S-T-R-A-I-T. And my LinkedIn is just my name. Um, But we are big LinkedIn people. I know our club had a little (laughs) LinkedIn workshop. So definitely connect with us on LinkedIn.
0: And Before we go, can both of you just tell me what's next for you? Like, um, what year you are in college, and what your plans are over the next, like, to say, two or three years?
1: So, I am. I just finished my junior year in college, um, which is kind of crazy going into my senior year. Um, I'm studying applied data sciences, and I'm, like I mentioned, getting ready to do my thesis on Campus Cup, um, which is really cool. Um, this summer, I'm going to work as a data science intern at Organic Valley Dairy out in Wisconsin. Um, so, when I graduate, I'd like to do something data science in the agriculture space. Don't really know what that's
2: going to be yet, but I'm definitely going to be programming wherever I go. For me, um, I just finished my sophomore year today, (laughs) college at Penn State, um, but my majors are international politics, Spanish, and French. Um, So I'm currently planning on going to law school um, after undergrad, um, and I'm taking this summer to study for the LSAT since I will be studying abroad kind of the whole beginning of next year. so yeah, law school is looking like right now, but I'm keeping my options open. Um, but I hope to have a globally minded and globally focused career.
0: Very cool. Where are you, where are you studying abroad?
2: Um, hopefully in Paris, um, the spring semester next year, and then um, hopefully in Spain for both my mm. French and Spanish.
0: Oh my gosh, it's gonna be amazing.
2: <laughs> it's been delayed over and over with COVID. Um, like this summer I was supposed to, last summer I was supposed to, um, but I'm hopeful that in the spring it'll be kind of back up and running.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I just have loved having the two of you on and I'm so impressed and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and thank you for all of the incredible work that you were doing at Penn State and not just there, but inspiring other women, girls and menstruators to advocate and to uh, make a difference in their, in their community in the ways that they can. And um, I wish you both the best of luck And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Thank you so much. The days for girls podcast is produced by days for girls international for show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit daysforgirls.org forward slash podcast. If you'd like to support the work we do on the show, leave a rating or a review wherever you listen, subscribe to the show and share episodes on social media or with your friends to learn more about days for girls and to join our global movement please visit daysforgirls.org. Thank you for listening. See you next time.